Vikings. They knew what was going on, didn't they? So, being a... Wow, that was just like fell off the edge right there. A couple of you laughed at the first one. I'm a Viking. I'm Norwegian, so I'm just... The guy said that the Vikings said that tomorrow was going to be the end of the world. Is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> Evidently, you guys are not paying attention to what's going on. Anyways, more important things. Um, I didn't see that OCC video until this morning, and I don't know about you, but that is a awesome story, isn't it? Of of how God works in a shoebox with some toys in it ends up being this guy's first gift. And then the lady, or man, whoever sent it, um, says at the end, I love you. And that triggered what God was already doing in this guy's heart. A guy who, man, as he said, he hated humanity. Um, and it's, it's a good reminder for us, obviously, one, because you know, we don't have that kind of persecution, that kind of death. What do you say, a million people in a week were killed? Um, you know, we don't have that here in the United States. We, we are so blessed, which means sometimes we can get apathetic um, to what God calls us to do. But the other thing is, <clears throat> just the, the simple gift, something simple. And as we, you know, as we talk about seeing people in our lives who need, uh, need a Lord and coming to Christ, it's not something big and huge necessarily that we have to do. It's just something simple. As we're praying for them, God's working in their lives, and then we do something simple, and then God takes it and, and runs with it. So it's just good stuff, and hopefully you're going to be involved with Operation Christmas Child uh, boxes every week. That table gets cleared off every week, so it's good to, good to see and appreciate that. Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles <clears throat> to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be finishing out that chapter. It's uh, page 1183 if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And obviously this plays right into what we're talking about here as we're going through both First uh, and Second Thessalonians in the next several weeks. So Paul's answering the question, how should we le- live in light of Christ's return? Jesus Christ is coming back. Awesome, right? And again, if he's, Paul's even going to say it, or in another verse we're going to look at this, this morning, if we believe that he came and he died and he rose again, then we've got to believe that he's going to come back. Even though it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it, it's really, we don't see that happening every day. Um, but he's going to, he's going to be coming back. And so the first century Christians, again, they thought that this was going to happen in their lifetime. And so because of that, speaking specifically of the Thessalonians, I was corrected as to how to pronounce, I would say Thessalonians. And so my son came up to me and goes, every time I hear you say that, I just twitch. It's Thessalonians. Okay, I can barely say the word as it is. Just get off my back. Jeez. Not like I have, you know, perfect communication skills. I'm from Chicago. Anyways, so a, a bunch of the, the Christians here in uh, Thessalonica, they, they are doing it right. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing in light of Jesus returning. And they think he's coming back in their lifetime and so they're excited, and, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're continuing to do their jobs. They're continuing to raise their families. But they have the expectation of Jesus coming, and so they're doing the other stuff. They're with their church family. They're um, taking care of each other. Remember, this is a time of persecution, so people are losing their jobs, and so they were making sure they're coming around and 
uh, pooling their resources and being able to pay people's bills and being able to give them the food off their table and, and they're helping people and encouraging believers. But they're then also going above that and they're telling their unsaved friends and family, hey, listen, we heard about the one true God and how he became man and how he died on the cross for our sin. And, you know, and then, of course, God's doing the work. Again, First Thessalonians talks about it. God's doing the work in their hearts, the non-believers' hearts. And so then they're kind of connecting the dots because God's helping them connect the dots. And these Thessalonians, all they're sharing with them is what little they knew from Paul, which is kind of cool because Paul didn't just share the gospel, but he shared about how the end of the world was going to happen, which is why they have questions, which is why he's got to write the letter, answering their questions, which is kind of interesting. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you have friends and family who are interested in how the world ends, I know a bunch of people, by the way, who think about the end of the world, there's a great opportunity. Share with them what the Bible says. And then what's interesting, by the way, this is all free. It's not even my notes. So this is all free stuff. What's interesting is that God will take that because when the Bible starts talking about what's going to happen at the end of the world, and I mentioned this before, there's... It's interesting how our world is global-minded, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how these global com- uh, companies are working on a global scale? Isn't it interesting how you know, our current administration, in many ways, keeps looking to the UN and wanting to be a world, as they call, talk about a world order, change? You know, it's just kind of interesting. Anyways, so the Bible talks about that. And so these people thought it was going to happen in their lifetime, so they were doing what God called them to do. Now, there's another part of this group of, of Christians that evidently quit their jobs, and they're so focused on Jesus' return, they're of no use to what God was trying to do in their midst. It actually caused frustration within the church. It caused frustration, according from last week, amongst non-Christians. Um, Christians say, hey, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to wait for Jesus to return. And so God wanted the Thessalonians and us, as we're reading this, Paul is telling us, writing this down for us today, because Christ hasn't returned. I don't know if you guys realize that. He has not returned yet. That we would excel still more. That we would continue to do what God has called us to do. To reach people for Christ. To pool our resources together as a church family. To care for each other. To help each other. Right now, it may not be as much a financial thing as it is an emotional thing. And, and helping new believers understand their relationship with Christ and walking with them as they struggle with life and what they need to do with life. Or helping other people go through the loss of family members or health challenges, whatever the case. So that's, we need to excel still more. That's the first thing we need to do, as we talked about last week, as we wait for Jesus' return. The, the second thing we're going to talk about today, as we wait for Jesus Christ's return, return, whatever that is, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be a year from now, 10 years from now, some of us may be alive when it happens. Some of us may not be. Whatever the case, while we're still alive, we need to continually encourage each other with that fact. It needs to be something that we're constantly encouraging each other that Jesus is coming back. We should live with a daily expectation that today could be that day. Honestly, a lot of us don't, which is why Paul is saying you need to do this. It's amazing to me where the guys are going through the book of Revelation on Thursday night. So, if, men, if you're not there on Thursday nights, we encourage you to come, 7 o'clock. 
But each of those seven churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3, they started out well, but then they didn't finish well. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I know what's going on in your church, and each of your churches need to get your act together and get back on track. And you look in the history of church, history of individual churches. If, if we're not continually reaching people for Christ, if we're not continuing seeing people come to Christ, grow in their faith so they can share Christ with people, we just, we'll just go away. We'll age out. And so it's so important that we need to keep this expectation. You and I have family and friends who are dying and going to hell. And you and I have the message for them. And so we need to encourage each other. We need to encourage ourselves. We need to have this as, an, uh, as a motivation as we share Christ with others. So follow along as we read through these verses, uh, 13 to 18. We're going to finish out chapter 4. So Paul continues on answering questions that they have, and they have this one specific question about what happened to Christians who have died and what happened. <clears throat> so he says this, <clears throat> But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now when he uses the word asleep, he's not talking about those who happen to sleep through the service. Which, by the way, you fell back an hour, so you should be feeling good this morning. I woke up at 4.30 going, I got another hour to sleep. And then, of course, at my age, I'm like, but I can't stay here. I got to get up and take care of something. Anyways, um, so those who are asleep, he's talking about Christians who have died. And it's kind, of, it's kind of an illustration. You know, as a Christian, you're going to live again. So they've died physically, but they're going to live again. So anyways, so they're asleep. So you will not grieve as do the rest, or non-Christians who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do that, right, as, as followers of Christ, we believe Jesus died for our sins, and then he rose again, right? Okay, good. So if we believe that, even so, God will bring with him, part of that belief, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. And we use the word rapture. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, because of this, why am I telling you this? So that you comfort, or maybe better word, encourage or motivate one another with these words. I don't know about you, but that's going to be a crazy day when that happens. You know, I, again, I don't know if I'll be alive or dead when it happens. Uh, if I'm, I, I was saying at a first service, you know how they do the military reenactments? So you can kind of see what happened in certain battles. I hope God does like a, a reenactment, you know, every few million years. You know, hey, remember one? You know, we all get around, we get our pop and popcorn, and we watch a reenactment of what happened at the rapture. I don't know if it's going to happen. But it's going to be crazy. You got people going about their day, <clears throat> just going to work or to the park or church or whatever, and then all of a sudden, pff, gone. Can you imagine what's going to happen in churches, by the way, when a person's left? <laughs> all they see is clothes laying next to them, someone's pacemaker laying in. Well, that looked like Jim Bob's pacemaker right there. You know, I've got 
titanium pins and screws in my back and we're going to see those pins laying, if, if I'm alive, they're going to just be laying there. It'll, either that, it'll be in my grave. You know. So, like graves are going to be empty. The, the mausoleums will be empty. Tombs will be empty. Urns will be empty. Oceans will be empty. People driving down the interstate, breaking the law at 90 miles an hour, poof, gone. Nobody driving. Semi-trucks, buses, airplanes. I mean, just think about it. <laughs> That's going to be a crazy moment in time. But it's going to happen. Because Jesus is coming back. Now, what Paul says here is, yes, we grieve. We've got some people that we know, and of course they knew, and there's been centuries of followers of Christ who have died and are in the ground, decomposing, you know. And, and so we grieve. When, when we have a, a follower of Christ who dies, we grieve. Paul says that. We grieve. But we don't grieve like the unbeliever, a non-Christian, the person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. We, we love the person. We loved hanging out with the person. So yeah, we, we grieve and we should grieve. But we don't grieve for them because they're with Christ. They're where we want to be. We grieve for ourselves, right? We, again, we love and want to be with them and so we, we, we miss them. But they're with Christ. They are in His presence. Their spirit is. And so let me just give you a caution. This is all free advice. We, we want to comfort people. We want to comfort Christians. We also want to comfort non-Christians. I hear non-Christians trying to comfort non-Christians. And they sometimes say some things that are not what the Bible teaches or the Bible doesn't reference. So I would just challenge you in comforting somebody. Don't say that they're looking down from heaven or looking up, as the case may be. The Bible doesn't ever teach that. The Bible never teaches that they become angels. We take away from God's glory when we say that a human becomes an angel because God the Son died for humans. He didn't die for angels. We are far more special. We have a far more special relationship with God through Christ that no other created being has. Our loved ones, whether a believer or not a believer, they're not, their spirits aren't roaming on this earth, not helping us through things. We take away from God's glory because God's spirit lives in us. He is the one taking care of us. Nothing against our loved ones. Please don't hear me saying it. Nothing against our loved ones. But our loved ones, if they're believers, our loved ones are in the presence of God. That perfect, sinless place that they have desired to be since they gave their life to Christ. It's 
God the Son who became man, who died on the cross, who rose again to allow us to be in God's presence, we take away from God's glory if we're thinking that they have any other thought than God himself. God is awesome. He's powerful. He's perfect. It's beautiful. There's no way in the world they'd want to look down on this sinful world. He won't let them do that. Why would he do that to them? when he has them in his presence. And again, nothing against those who have died ahead of us. But we, 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 that's not the comfort that they need to hear because it's not what the Bible teaches. And then just one last one. There, there's no coming back. It's appointed up to man once to die, then the judgment. There's no coming back. That's why this earth is so important. What people do with Christ is so important. For us to get the message to people who need Christ is so important. But we as believers, we have a hope. Now, this hope is not this, oh, I wonder, mm, I hope so, I, you know, fingers behind her back, you know, whatever. No, hope, biblical hope is a, is a certainty. It's a, a definite gonna happen that's what the word means. It's a certain expectation. Why? Because it's not based on us. It's based on what God has said. It's based on his promise that this is going to happen. And God fulfills his promises. God is powerful, all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's infinite. He's made a promise to us, and it's going to happen. And that's where our hope is. Not in, in us, not in what we've done, but what Christ has done, what God has said is going to happen. I, I've been, I've obviously, as a pastor, I've um, done funerals. I like to call them memorial services for Christians, but I do funerals for Christians. I've done funerals for non-Christians. And when Paul says we don't grieve like those who don't have any hope, I've seen it. And maybe you guys have too. You go to a, a, a Christian's funeral, someone who's truly followed Christ. We went to one a couple of weeks ago. Sadly, we're going to another one on Wednesday. It's a wonderful godly woman from Fremont that we've known for years. Um, has impacted, or God has used to impact a lot of different people's lives. Uh, she passed away from cancer. And so we're going to be going on Wednesday. It's going to be a celebration. Like almost every one of the funerals I've done. A celebration. Why? Because they're in the presence of God. And I remember one time down in Fremont, there was one of the elders, um, his wife passed away. And you would have thought you were like in some sort of like, like celebration thing. I mean, they, she wanted the most upbeat Christian music played. And it was a full-blown like Sunday morning worship service. And uh, they had the lights going down there. And it was just like really, it was just so, so awesome. Because you're just like, you know, this is what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And you go to a unbeliever's funeral and there's just this sense of, of hopelessness, of uncertainty. Of They'll say things to each other, but you can tell they're not really sure what they're saying, but it makes them feel good at the moment. We have a certainty because of what Christ has done and what God says is going to happen. I just have several verses here I want to read concerning that certainty. The first one is that Jesus promised it. So John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus is talking. He's looking towards his death on the cross and his eventual resurrection. And he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. 
Because they're all like, wait a second, you're saying you're going to go die. <laughs> you know, we're not liking this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Entrust your spiritual well-being to God. Believe also in me. Do the same thing in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. We'll see that one of these days in a new heaven and a new earth. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. He's been doing it for over 2,000 years. For if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is promising this. God the Son if you've placed your faith in me, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to get you. The angels in, in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is ascending to heaven, and as they, the disciples, were gazing intently into the sky while he, speaking of Jesus, was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood outside or stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And then God had Paul tell us this in 1 Corinthians. He says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, meaning he's the first one to die and be raised into a glorified body. For since by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, speaking of Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also all, speaking of those who have placed their faith in him, will be made alive, spiritually, and then eventually physically. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, so he did it first. After that, those who are in Christ at his coming, which is this whole caught up thing in 1 Thessalonians 4. Then, then comes the end. So the rapture, then comes the end the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. When he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he's abolished all rule and all authority and all power. So Jesus is coming back. He promised it. The angels reminded him. Paul has told us that he's coming back. He's not handing it off to somebody else. <laughs> if you want to put it that way. He's not giving it to a subordinate. He's not letting one of the intern angels, you know, do it. He himself. And so we, we wait for Jesus to return, and so we need to continually encourage ourselves and each other that whether we die before he comes or we're alive when he comes, he's coming. He's going to personally take us back. And if it's our loved ones who have gone before us, we're going to see them again because of Christ. And the other encouraging thing is that when he comes back, we all go, and we all go before the tribulation. Now, true, as we read, the dead in Christ rise first, and then we who are alive. But I don't know about you, I'm fine with that. You know, if the dead want to go first, if he wants the dead to go first, I'm fine. I know I'm going. Order doesn't really matter to me at this point. Um, maybe it will to you, but you can have a conversation with God on that. Now, I, I throw up a, a little uh, chart for you. Now, scholars debate as to when the rapture is going to happen. Some don't even believe there's going to be a rapture. So there's, you know, there's a bunch of different thoughts on this. Um, people who have studied the Bible have come up with different answers. So some believe if it's going to happen, some believe it happens before the tribulation. Some believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation or close to the middle. And others believe it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. I call it the whoop theory because they go whoop and back down. <laughs> whoop. Anyways, 
We believe, moving on, we believe uh, that he's going to come before the tribulation. All right? And so we had Christ first coming, came to earth as a baby, right? Lived just 33 years or so, uh, was crucified, and rose from the dead, and then 40 days later uh, ascended into heaven, which we read about Acts chapter 1. And then we have this church age, is what we call it. It's, there's this, it's the gap in uh, Daniel chapter 9. It talks about the 69th week and then the 70th week. There's a gap period there. Paul calls it the time of the Gentiles in Romans. There's this period of time where the Old Testament prophets didn't see this happening, but as we understand the New Testament, we see there's this period of time. We don't know how long the period of time is. Obviously, it's 2,000 years so far. Um, that that this is this church age that Christ is working with the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people, having them come to Christ. And so just three points from Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, that we believe it's before. There's a bunch of biblical reasons why we believe throughout different parts of the Bible. But here's just three from First Thessalonians, why we believe it. In 3, 3 through 4, um, the, the, the Thessalonians, they thought, oh, um, Paul talked about the fact that Christ is going to come back, but there's going to be a tribulation period. And so they think, with the fact they're in the persecution, that they think they're in a tribulation period, which means Paul must have taught that the rapture happens first. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking this question, right? They would be saying, oh, no, it's going to happen sometime. But they're having this question because they're in persecution, so therefore they think they're in the tribulation period, but the rapture was supposed to happen first. It didn't happen. Now what do we do? So one possible argument. Four, thirteen through 18, this information is to be encouraging us. Well, it wouldn't be encouraging if we had to go into the tribulation. You know, so again, not a real strong argument, but it's an argument. And then five, one, Paul makes a clear distinction. We'll talk about it next week. Paul makes a clear distinction between what's happening here with being, Christians being caught up and what's going to happen at the end of times, the epochs, as he talks about. Um, in chapter 5, verse 1. And we'll talk more about that. But again, that kind of gets you started if you want to do some more research on that. Um, again, we're going to be talking about it, men. We're going to be talking about it on Thursday night at 7. So hopefully you can do that. But here's a cool thing. Jesus says, or Paul says, and Jesus also said, but the Lord himself is going to come. He's going to come with a shout. And this word means a cry of command. You know, the forward march. You know, he's, he's going to move out of heaven. It's interesting because Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2 is he's seated at the right hand of God in Revelations he's standing again. And so there's this idea that he's going to move out with the voice of the archangels kind of like if you've ever seen like Braveheart, right? Where he says you know, charge! And all of a sudden charge, charge, charge! All the other generals telling their guys let's move on. And so the archangels, some believe it's Michael the archangel is going to be saying you know, forward march! Also too, you know, let's go! And then it's the trumpet of God, and this trumpet's a lot of trumpets in the Bible, but it usually has this idea of signaling some sort of assembly, getting people together. Now, the big question is, will we hear the trumpet? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I don't want to be mean, but really, does it really matter if we hear the trumpet or not? Because it's not going to be one of these things where, oh, trumpet, oh, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Go, I'm gone. Ah, just got right in there, right? You know, I'm going to live however I want. And then when I hear the trumpet, I'm going to ask, ask Christ to forgive me. You know, I don't know. Yes, no, doesn't really matter. Why? Because at the next point, we're going to be caught up. 
And it means to, to grab, to seize suddenly in such a way that no resistance is offered. So it's not going to be like, no, 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 don't take me yet. Don't take me yet. I, I got a friend, and I was telling the nine o'clock service, I got a friend who's like, I, I know when the Lord's returning. I said, oh yeah, when's that? He's single. He's like, uh, on my wedding day. Well, how do you know? I just know it. And he's, you know, he's a little older too. So he's like, I just know I'm going to find somebody to marry. I'm going to ask her to marry me. And then she's going to say yes. And then we're going to have the wedding. And just as the pastor says, you may kiss your bride. I'm going to go in for the kiss and poof, the Lord's coming back. Um, so I said, well, get married. Hello, find somebody. It doesn't matter who it is, right? Just get married. Anyway, get, you know, chop, chop. Let's get going. Anyways, so there's not going to be any resistance. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Again, I don't care. I'm just glad I'm going. But here's what Paul said about this. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we, speaking of our spirits, are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So obviously we're not in, God, in Christ's presence. God's Holy Spirit indwells us. But For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent... We, we would rather be with the Lord, our spirits to be with the Lord, and to be, um, and to be at home with the Lord. So that's, that's what we'd rather do, right? To be with the Lord than to be here on His earth. It's not that we hide as Christians until that time. We don't come together on a church, you know, a church on Sunday and, whew, the world's not attacking me. I can just stay here forever, you know. We come here, we get refreshed, we get energized, we get built up, we get more knowledge, and we go back out to impact people for Christ. But Christ is going to, somehow, I don't know how he's going to do it, but their spirit are already in God's presence, and then he's going to take their, their bodies, he's going to reunite them, but their bodies are going to be glorified, perfected. You're all going to be bald and about five foot ten, and you know, I don't know, maybe not, possibly. Um, I've, I know for sure we're not going to be dressed like Clark was, at Dress Like Your Spouse Day that they had. At their, if you want to see a really sad picture, ask Clark. Uh, he's sitting over here with the mirror. Um, anyway, so it's going to be this perfected body. All the, all the, the cancer gone. You know, the, the, uh, the sores gone. It's going to be a perfected body reunited with the Spirit. Those who are alive, God's going to do something there and He's going to, in process, in route, you know, their spirit and their body will be glorified. But the key thing here is it's instantaneous. This isn't going to be a thing where you're going to have a moment of time to pray and ask Christ to forgive you your sins when the trumpet sounds. Here's what Paul, how Paul describes it in First uh, Corinthians. It says, now, uh, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, God has to spiritualize it in some way. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. There's that whole thing about, you know, a believer being uh, who's dead. But we will all, both dead and alive in Christ, be changed. We'll receive glorified bodies. In a moment, this is the key thing, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. We'll all have glorified bodies. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So the word moment there in the Greek means atomist. We get our word atom from that. And where they split atoms, the word really means that you can't split it. So there's no splitting this up. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. The twinkle of an eye, it refers to a rapid movement. It's kind of the twitch of the eye. It's, there's no way you can get in there. It's just going to happen. 
It's going to happen quickly. We're not even going to realize it. We're going to be here, boom, in God's presence. And then the last point is that this will be forever. He says, we will always be with the Lord. You move on as we go into the end time stuff. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. God's going to destroy this, these heavens and this earth, create a whole new heaven. So there's going to be some sense of a physical aspect. You can read in Revelation 21 and 22 and see how John tried to describe how beautiful and awesome that's going to be. I don't know about you, but I do think about this almost every day. I even say it sometimes, man, Lord, just Lord, feel free to return today. <laughs> There's a lot going on, a lot of pain in this world, a lot of frustrations in this world. And so we, we want the Lord to return. And we who are Christians, that's what we need to be doing. In fact, if we look at our takeaways, here's some takeaways for Christians. I would challenge you and encourage you since Paul is telling us to do this that we take time daily take a moment of time as you're spending time with the Lord and remind yourself and remember that wow Jesus Christ is coming back it could be today and see if that doesn't give you perspective on what your day holds or at the end of the day thinking about what the next day is take that opportunity Paul's telling us God's telling us to do it through Paul and then Use that truth to encourage you during difficult times, to, to motivate you, to share the gospel with those in your lives, to be praying for those who need Christ, that they would come to Christ, that you would have opportunity, that he'd be preparing their hearts for it. And certainly as a motivation to continue to love your church family and sacrifice for your church family. But are you sure... So for the next group of people, are you sure that when Jesus comes back, he's taking you? Or if you die before that, are you sure that your spirit is going to go to be with God? Look what John or Jesus says in John chapter 14 again. Now, chapter one, uh, verses 1 through 3, he's already said, hey, don't be troubled, I'm coming back for you. Well, now he's going to give, how do we know that? How can we be sure of that? Verse 6, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you're here this morning and you are unsure, you're not really sure if when you die, you're going to go spend eternity with, with God or if he were to come back, whether you hear the trumpet or not, you know, are you going to make it? Is God going to take you? Is Christ going to take you? It's a, a personal faith relationship that you need to establish with Christ. It's a personal thing. It's not a religious thing. It's not a group thing. It's not a denominational thing. It's you and what you're going to do with Christ. And so here's what I'd like to do. We do this from time to time, as you guys know, who are regular here. But if you've never just stopped your life and prayed to accept Christ as your Savior, to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Now, if you've done this in the past and you were sincere about it and you really meant it, you were saved at that point. You were born, reborn spiritually at that point. There's a lot of different ways the Bible discusses it. It's not something you have to continue to do. 
you were born physically once. You don't keep going back into your mom to be born physically again to show that you've been born. When you're born spiritually, Jesus says you're born again, you only, that only needs to happen once. All right? You get to adopt it into God's family once. But if you've never done it or you're saying, I'm not really sure what I might have done in the past. I want to make today the day. You just need to have a conversation with God about that. We call it prayer. But sometimes it's a little freaked out when I talk about prayer. So, you know, it's just a conversation with God. Your heart to God's heart. You talking to God and, and just expressing to Him that you need His forgiveness, that you want His forgiveness, that you're trusting in Christ. And so we, we talk about the ABCs a lot. So A is just admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're separated from God. That you, your sin has caused that to happen. And we've all been there. Even those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we admitted that at some point in our, our past, some recently and some years ago. And then B is, is believe. And we, as we talked about that believe is this entrusting your spiritual well-being into the hand. And so you're believing what he says, that when, when God the Son became man, he did so in order to die on the cross and take our eternal punishment in hell on our, on his behalf, on our behalf. He took it for us. And so you're believing that. And you're trusting that God says, if you believe on that, I'll forgive you your sins. And he also says, I'm going to give you God the Holy Spirit in your life. And he's going to wash out the sin. And then he's going to be your guarantee to go to heaven. And then the C is confess that. Just have a conversation with God where you express that to him. So go ahead and close your eyes. Bow your heads. And if you're here this morning and you need to do that, take this time. Just your heart to God's heart. You don't have to be praying out loud. You can do that. I'm also, I'm going to pray a prayer that you could pray. Some people are like, "Eh, I'm not really sure how to exactly do this, Harold. Well, I'll pray a prayer that you could pray. The prayer doesn't save you. It's your faith in God and God working in your life that saves you. But this is just you expressing it. So if you need to do that, just pray something along these lines. God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from you. But I also know and I believe I'm entrusting my spiritual well-being to you. That Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe that. I'm trusting that. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Now just keep your eyes closed. As I said, God said, I'll forgive your sins and I'll place my Holy Spirit in you and I will adopt you into my family and I will take you to heaven one day. If you prayed that prayer, I would like to know that you did. If you just raise your hand and let me know that you've done that. Thanks, I see that hand. I appreciate that. Thanks, I see that hand. We had one in the nine o'clock who also prayed to accept Christ this morning. I don't want to, I want to make sure I give you a time. If you've prayed that prayer, if you're calling out to God, asking Him to forgive you your sins, trusting in Christ, just let me see that with a raised hand just for me to know I can pray for you. I'm going to give you a little gift out in the lobby if I catch you before you head on out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the three individuals who indicated salvation. They wanted wanted you or want you to save them, to forgive them because of trusting in Christ and you say you will. 
You are faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says. Thank you for the fact that your Holy Spirit is in them at this moment, that they are a child of God. You've adopted them into your family and that you are there for them to take them through this life and then the day they to die or the day that Christ comes back, they will spend eternity with you. Your Holy Spirit is that guarantee, Ephesians 1 tells us. Romans says that you will, Romans 8 says that you will confirm it. You, your spirit confirms with our spirit that we're a child of God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that and confirm to these that have prayed to accept Christ. And those who are still wondering, those that are not sure, Father, speak to their heart because they can ask you for that anytime. They don't have to happen in a church service. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Christ and what he's done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.